It's Thursday, the 30th of January, and this is the Monocle Minute. Today, as the coronavirus spreads across the world, China is racing to build a series of new hospitals to contain the crisis, some in a matter of hours. Wuhan is a very big city. You know, there's 11 million people there. It's the size of, of London, and it's one of these second-tier cities which is on the up. We'll cross to our bureau chief in Hong Kong, James Chambers. Plus, our affairs editor, Christopher Cermak, reports on the importance of diplomatic dialogue even after Britain's exit from the EU hits this Friday. I'm Ben Ryland in London. The Monocle Minute starts now. Wuhan is a big city. It's home to 11 million people. It has some of the best public transport in China, with trains, trams and high-speed rail. And it's one of the country's most important economic hubs. But even in a city of this size, the scale of the coronavirus outbreak, when it hit, quickly became too big for Wuhan's medical facilities to cope. Now, as the virus threatens to become an international crisis, China is racing to construct a series of new hospitals, some of them in just a matter of hours. James Chambers is Monocle's bureau chief in Hong Kong. James, first, what's the situation like where you are right now? It's back to work today in Hong Kong. It's the first day back after the Chinese New Year holidays. Uh, but you would think it's still uh, very much holiday season here. The streets are very quiet. There's uh, hardly anybody taking public transport. And the people you do see uh, are all wearing masks uh, as a precaution against the coronavirus. Um, a lot of the public buildings and services have shut, uh, like the, the parks and swimming pools and sports pitches. Uh, and the government has forced all civil servants to work from home, all of those who aren't involved in emergency services, uh, and have advised private enterprises to uh, do the same with their staff. So our area in, in Wan Chai, there are some places open, but uh, it does feel very, very quiet. James, there have been reports of these new hospitals that are being built on mainland China to try and deal with the crisis. Now, some of these have been constructed in a matter of days, if not hours. It does sound like an extraordinary feat of engineering. So the Chinese government have, have prolonged the, the, the New Year holidays, and so a lot of people are finding themselves stuck at home. Uh, and so one of the, the pastimes uh, people have, uh, are doing is watching the live feed uh, on some of the Chinese news channels of these hospitals being constructed. And some of them are getting up to 10 million viewers at a time. The first hospital uh, started construction on the 25th, and the goal is to build it in six days so that it opens for business on Monday, you know, February the 3rd. Uh, and this is meant to be a, a hospital with up to uh, a thousand beds. And the idea is that they're kind of going to emulate a similar hospital that was built in Beijing during the SARS epidemic in 2003, uh, and that was built in seven days. So there's a bit of uh, record-breaking going on, or at least a record-breaking attempt. Uh, but that's not the, the only hospital. There's a second one uh, about 25 miles away from the, the first one in Wuhan, and that's meant to be even bigger with like uh, up to 1,300 beds. And so that's meant to be opening next next Wednesday. So there's two hospitals under construction, and they're uh, prefabricated buildings. So uh, at the moment, the first one is at the foundations level. So they've got the cement all in place. And I think over the next uh, day or so, we'll start to see actually the, the walls spring up quite quickly. 
Are they going to be what we would expect from any ordinary hospital? I mean, when you walk inside, do you expect them to, to look and feel and, and have all the facilities that a normal hospital would have? These are very much quarantine facilities where people can be treated because they, the coronavirus is highly contagious. Uh, so when, you know, when uh, people who are suspected of having it are you know, found in Hong Kong, they're taken to the hospital, they're tried to keep separate from other patients. Uh, and then the Hong Kong government is, is creating their own quarantine facilities using existing buildings. Now, uh, in Hong Kong, we've got very few cases. We're only dealing with a, you know, 100 at max. Whereas in, in Wuhan, at the center of this, we're talking about you know thousands of, of confirmed cases uh, and even more uh, suspected ones. So uh, we're talking about huge numbers uh, in in Wuhan, uh, and this is an attempt uh, by the the government and the authorities there to create space for them. The medical uh, practitioners and professionals in Wuhan are complaining about overcrowded facilities, and so they you know they need somewhere uh, to put all these people and to treat all these people in a very humane way. So it's not they're not building hospitals for the long term this is a medical emergency uh, and they need to get buildings you know uh, they need to build them up now um, uh, so they can treat people immediately who's actually building the hospitals is it one construction company or have they had to really commission a whole network of them it's not quite clear who's being responsible. I, ma- I imagine it'd be a, a state-owned company. This is going to be a military-run uh, hospital, so I, I'm sure the military is involved as well, and it's certainly being done a, on, on a military schedule. But the, you know, the one thing China does have is, is money and manpower, and also has the political structure to be able to do something a- as quickly as this. The benefits of, of being an, an authoritarian government is you don't necessarily need to go through all the different procedures and get approvals. Um, the, the central government is, is behind this. It's, it's throwing money at this. The, the president has, you know, has called this a demon virus, and, and China is, is determined to, to tackle it. So, you know, the whole the might of the Chinese state is essentially behind this, um, and they're going to, to force this through and make sure these hospitals get built. So, uh, it's a definitely a, a state-led uh, initiative, and most of the big construction companies in China outside of res- pro- property and residential are you know, state-owned. So whether it's cement or, or all the other aspects of uh, the building trade, this will be very much a, a, a state-led initiative. We have taken a decision this morning uh, to prepare uh, a plan uh, for an operation to provide some assisted departures for isolated and vulnerable Australians in Wuhan and the Hubei province. Australia has announced plans to quarantine people potentially affected by the coronavirus on Christmas Island, more than 1,600 kilometres off the mainland. At least seven cases of the deadly virus have been confirmed in Australia. The chief health officer for the state of Victoria says some patients have been placed in self-isolation. We now have a new case, uh, a man in his 60s, a Victorian resident, uh, who became unwell on the 23rd of January and he's uh, been referred to Monash Medical Centre where he's uh, been assessed as well. Uh, So he's uh, returned home and, and is in isolation at home. Meanwhile, scientists in Melbourne say they've successfully recreated the coronavirus. It's hoped that the copy could lead to a development of an early test, meaning that patients could be quarantined and treated before they've displayed any symptoms.
Each day this week, we've been looking at Britain's exit from the European Union, which takes place this Friday. Today, our affairs editor, Christopher Sermak, looks at why it's important to keep talking, even after this week's divorce takes effect. How do you broach a topic that everyone is so completely and utterly tired of talking about? As a recent transplant to London, I moved here from Berlin in October, this has been one of my biggest conundrums. There's this mix of bitterness, passion, and resignation that comes from discussing Brexit with people here. Conversation rarely feels productive. And yet, for a believer in the importance of civil dialogue like myself, it still feels oh so important to find ways of keeping the conversation going. Because, as has been mercilessly drummed into your heads over this past week, Friday's exit is just the start of a new and equally important chapter in Britain's relationship with the EU. So how do you keep the conversation fresh and productive? My own take is to focus on the personal stories that sit behind our fraught politics, the why behind the opinions that have bubbled to the surface from all corners in the past few years. How has the EU impacted your own life up to this point? How will the UK's departure impact your life now? There's so much misinformation in politics, but the one thing you can't easily distort is people's own personal experiences. So I'll start. As a dual Austrian-American citizen, I've had the rare privilege of being able to work and live in the US and Europe without constraint. So when Britain leaves the EU tomorrow, it will mark the first time I've ever lived in a country where my own passport doesn't automatically grant me the right to stay. I expect to get pre-settled status, sure, but it means that I won't be able to leave and return over the next five years. That's hardly the biggest problem to have in the world, but for a serial mover like myself, it's certainly an unsettling feeling. My thanks to Christopher Sermak. Elsewhere on today's agenda, the city of Malibu wants to prohibit overnight parking along the beautifully scenic Pacific Coast Highway that hugs its shoreline. The area is one of the most popular road trip destinations in the United States, with an estimated million visitors every year. But there are also concerns that a parking ban could threaten local businesses. And Japan's Motion Picture Producers Association says that cinema attendance in 2019 topped 194 million, lifting box office revenues to an all-time high of 2.2 billion euros. It was a record year for film releases in the world's fourth biggest market too. 1,278 films with Japanese studios Toho, Shochiko, Toei and Kadokawa and some others too, accounting for more than half of the total. Read more about today's stories by subscribing to our daily email bulletin at our website. I'm Ben Ryland. The Monocle Minute returns on Friday.